The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You are listening to Squawk Ident. An aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 14 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 15th of December, 2019, from the Chavez Studios somewhere in the North Valley in Albuquerque, New Mexico. On this episode of Squawk Ident, Aviator Tony is on vacation. The family and I took a nice vacation adventure to Albuquerque to visit family. Yes, we braved the holiday travel season. The coughing, the sneezing, the filth, and the germs infested all over the airports and the airplanes. We will dive into the nastiness of holiday travel and what the experts say is the most infected parts of the aircraft. I also had the opportunity to interview an 83-year-young veteran of the U.S. Navy that has had a long journey in his life so far, and he can still run circles around me. That's right, he is my stepfather-in-law. Yes, my wife's brother's aunt's sister's husband. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show right after a brief word from our sponsors. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, and thank you for listening to our sponsors. We do appreciate the patience you have to sit through a few seconds of sponsorship. It does help with the show. And again, I'd like to remind you to visit www.aviatortony.com. And there, again, you can get episode audio. We have the cover art posted on its own page there and you could be a contributor or a sponsor to the show so let's move forward recapping episode 13 uh it was a a fun show to produce Uh, we gave a small sample of what is involved with a major airline's recurrent pilot training process we also interviewed a young aviator that under 30 years old is already flying the line at a legacy carrier And that was interesting to talk about how that journey came about. Well, here I am in the middle of a a vacation, a short four-day trip to come and see family. And I had an awesome opportunity to sit down with an 83-year-old Navy veteran and talk about his journey through his life with his career and his choices and how prosperous his retirement has been. But before we get to that, Let's talk about the adventure to go through holiday travel during the busiest time of the year to fly. Now, this time of year is always filled with people that are coming down with the common cold, the flu, and who knows what else. It runs rampant this time of year. Hygiene is a key to helping to prevent the spread of germs and viruses. We all know this to be true from the time we are even in kindergarten. Yet, why is it that so many millions of Americans find the concept of doing things like washing their hands after using a public restroom so difficult to understand? For 15 years, I have witnessed countless individuals use public restrooms at an airport or while on a layover in a public place like a hotel or restaurant and then not wash up. Are you serious, people? Even after coming out of the stall and just walking straight out of the men's room, it's sick. And then you get on an airplane and you touch everything. 
touch your seatbelt buckles, window shades, tray tables, overhead lights and vents. Do you think that cabin cleaning services sanitizes every surface of the aircraft before every flight? They barely have 15 minutes to clean the cabin at all. You're lucky if they even empty out seat back pockets, which usually have the most germs or viruses. So hell no. It just doesn't happen. So let's talk a little bit about what the flu is. According to cdc.gov, the flu or influenza is a contagious respiratory illness caused by the influenza virus. It can cause mild to severe illness. Serious outcomes of the flu infection can result in hospitalization or even death. Some people, such as older people or younger children, and people that have certain health conditions are at high risk of serious flu complications. There are two main types of the influenza virus, type A and type B. Both type A and B virus that routinely spread in people are responsible for the flu epidemic each year. So it's crucial, especially this time of year, where we have the busiest holiday travel happening in the next few weeks, that we all use good hygiene practices. And I found it interesting, uh, an article from Jeff Whitmore of Forbes magazine, uh, in an article that he wrote called, How Dirty Are Airplanes? And when I read through it, I kind of knew over the years I've read similar stories about, you know, how dirty airplanes can be. Uh, but it was an interesting article and it was pretty thorough and I'd like to share it with you here. So whether it's peak flu season or not, you might still wonder how clean the airplane really is. When most commercial planes hold between 150 and 350 passengers and schedules are usually tight, some parts of the airplane are going to be dirtier than others. By no means do you need to cancel your flight. It pays to know which parts of the plane to avoid, he writes. As you might assume, the bathroom isn't the only place to exercise caution. Yes, flying in first class can help you avoid some of these dirty areas, but by knowing which areas to watch out for, you can begin practicing good airplane hygiene. The bathroom, surprisingly, is not the dirtiest place. Perhaps, to the surprise of many, the airplane bathroom isn't the dirtiest place on the plane. While you should still be careful touching the flush button, the door handle, and other high-traffic spots in the bathroom, airlines are intentional about cleaning it regularly. That's right, between every flight, the cabin cleaning services always does scrub down, wipe off, and sanitize all the surfaces in the bathroom. It is a crucial part of turning the airplane around. So, the bathroom actually gets a lot of attention. But Jeff Whitmore of Forbes.com and Forbes Magazine continues to write that a 2015 study shows a couple of places to actually be dirtier than the bathroom. A microbiologist collected samples from four flights to calculate the total number of bacteria per square inch. Though the airplane bathroom flush button had about 265 bacteria colonies forming units, or CFUs, uh, per square inch, there are two places in the airplane the study confirmed to have more bacteria than the flush button. The first, seat back trays. Are you ready to be really grossed out, he writes. Airplane seat back trays are the dirtiest place on the airplane. The same study shows that a tray has 2,155 CFUs per square inch. That's eight times higher than the toilet flush button. In between flights, the airplane staff do a quick cleanup of the cabin. But this cleanup primarily looks for removing trash and a possible wipe down of the seats. They do not have time to sanitize each tray in between boardings. For a clean tray, plan on bringing your own disinfecting wipes or a cloth to cover the tray while it's unstowed. Now, the cleaning wipes, great idea. As long as they're in these little pouches, those are good. Uh, the little baggies with a few in there, those are good. But 
the TSA won't let you bring the big canisters because there's liquid in there. So, so be advised if you're going to bring uh, antibacterial wipes or cleaning trays, make sure they're in a little Ziploc bag um, and stow them in your backpack or, or purse. Those work out great. The article uh, further goes on to indicate that the overhead air vents had 285 CFUs per square inch, uh, a rating uh, in this microbiologist's study. Uh, since each passenger prefers a different rate of airflow, there is constant contact. You might even adjust the flow several times during the flight. Now, a little side note from Aviator Tony. When you get on an airplane and during the boarding process, 9 out of 10, though we have an auxiliary power unit that's blowing air conditioning into the aircraft, uh, and that will cool the aircraft down considerably. Once the boarding door is ready to be closed, usually that airflow is redirected in a process that we use to start the, at least one engine. During that process, airflow to the cabin is either diminished significantly or completely cut off. And most people, when they feel the airflow stop, immediately reach up and mess with their overhead vent. This does nothing. Uh, the reason it does nothing is that there's no airflow. That airflow is diverted in an effort to start the engine. So just give it a minute, wait till the engine is started, or both engines are started. Once that process happens, then airflow will be redistributed into the overhead bin uh, vents. Uh, over, yeah, the, the vents that are over your head. So that's why you see a bunch of people reach up right away as soon as we're starting an engine. Oh, the air stopped. Let me, let me adjust my vent. Uh, it, if it makes you feel better, great. But really, you're doing nothing. But to continue on with the viruses on aircraft. <laughs> so, yeah, wiping down that nozzle as soon as you touch down, uh, right after you wipe down your tray table, probably a good idea. Probably do the nozzle first because the tray table is a lot more uh, disgusting, <laughs> to say the least. So uh, the other thing is seatbelt buckles. Uh, you won't be able to avoid touching the seatbelt buckle, even if, uh, even though it can be cleaner than the airplane bathroom flush button, it is still a good idea to wipe your hands down with hand sanitizer after buckling. Also, the aisle seat headrest. One place you might overlook is that aisle seat headrest. Think about how many people walking up and down that aisle grab that headrest to stabilize themselves both during the flight and during the boarding process. And when they're, you know, uh, scooting over to get to that window seat, they're touching those headrests, right, to balance. And now you put your head on them or you grab them to adjust them for those aircraft that have adjustable headrests. So you might want to consider <laughs> wiping it down now. We've been talking about wiping basically the whole airplane down <laughs> to, to prevent germs. And, and I know that's not really very practical, but to say the least, avoid touching your face and using hand sanitizer during a flight is probably a good idea. So, you know, other things to avoid airplane blankets, general rule of thumb, uh, air, aircraft uh, or airlines are no longer giving out airplane blankets to economy uh, or coach because uh, they're trying to prevent germ spread. And that in part is true. You know, I'm sure there's a financial reason why they're not, uh, you know, distributing all these things out because that costs money to clean and distribute and, and it takes time. And, you know, we're all about efficiency and turn time and, and have more airplanes uh, flying per day uh, as much as possible, especially at this time of the year. Uh, coffee, tea, and tap water. It's not just your co-passengers that bring germs into the plane. The in-flight beverages can be unhealthy too. This is because flight attendants might use the tap water to brew coffee and tea. Plus, if it isn't enough bottled water to go around, flight attendants might even use the tap for the rest of the flight. Now, I know at Legacy Airlines, we don't do that. Uh, we if we don't have enough uh, bottled water, we don't go. So I know that we uh, don't use that practice to use tap water uh, for drinking water. However, there might be some airlines that do. I don't know. 
But according to this article, <laughs> it was very interesting to see that that could happen. I, I didn't even know that could happen. And there could be some bacteria and germs uh, there in the process. Plus, uh, if you think about it, they're opening those cans. Those cans were in a, uh, a warehouse or a storage facility. Uh, they were then put, brought to the airplane by catering, put in these bins and put on the aircraft. You know, have the tops of those cans been wiped down before serving? I don't know. Uh, I, I can't tell you what the practice of the, uh, the flight attendants in flight are or, or the staff or if they sanitize the cans. or I have no idea. So, you know, just asking for the can unopened, if possible, uh, is probably a good idea where you can then wipe the top of the can before you open it and pour it into your plastic cup. Probably a good idea. So interior cabin deep cleaning does happen. Airlines don't exactly publish how often they deep clean the cabin or the interior of the cabin, but you can anticipate it's done at least once to once every three months. These cleanings usually happen overnight or during uh, scheduled maintenance where they're doing a total breakdown type maintenance or heavy maintenance on the aircraft where they'll have uh, an actual breakdown of the cabin and they sanitize every single surface. So it does happen, it's just not as frequently as uh, as frequent as people think. So, you know, depending on your route, uh, if you're traveling domestically, you know, you're, the odds of you contracting a serious disease are relatively low because, you know, the, the CDC is uh, always kind of evaluating the particular flus that are going around in the United States, but they they don't really cover, the flu shots don't really cover things that you might get from other countries, What's, whatever's spreading around, especially if you're on a big aircraft. If you're flying on a 777 or a 787 that is doing international flying, even more important to disinfect your area when you get there, because who knows where they were last, and you know, and this time of year, you hear them coughing and sneezing in the row behind you, in the row in front of you, and it can be rather, you know, discouraging to be in an airplane and someone in the cabin is, is definitely ill. You shouldn't be flying if you're ill, people. If you're ill, you can be doing so much more. Uh, and you could be wearing a mask, which is the responsible thing to do. I know there are a lot of um, biases against seeing particular ethnic groups wearing masks around airports and malls and public places. But if you stop and think about it, it may not be, you know, because they're hypochondriac. It's maybe because they're not feeling so good and they don't want to spread a germ or they know that other people may not be feeling so good and they don't want to catch their germs. So, you know, Amazon sells some pretty cool hygiene masks to wear during travel. And I hate to say it, I, I personally don't think that it's a big of a deal that everybody needs to be wearing these hygiene masks. But, you know, with, <laughs> with this time of year, we're crammed in those little seats in the back of these airplanes. And, you know, the, the main thing is don't get sick, especially when you're traveling to Nana's house for Christmas. You don't want to get Nana sick. So wash your hands, people, when you come out of the bathroom. Uh, sanitize your, your seat area, the overhead, and especially that tray table. Another uh, part of the article spoke about the seat back pocket. Now, the top of the seat back pocket where it meets uh, the seat, uh, I usually will stick a phone or a magazine or something in there, but I do my very best not to let the items fall down into the seat back pocket because most of the time, when you start digging in deep there, there is gum and nuts and all kinds of stuff down there, spilled, you know, liquids of whatever kind and magazines that are been in there for way too long. So, you know, be very cognizant. Now, I also read uh, another article from pointsguy.com. The pointsguy.com had an article uh, that was published on December 1st of last year by Jordy Lippy McGraw, and it was entitled, It's Flu Season, Here's How to Avoid Getting Sick on an Airplane. So she talks about avoiding using the bathroom on short flights. Now, not every flight 
uh, is somewhere where you can avoid using the bathroom, but especially those morning flights, how many venti caramel frappa crappuccinos did you have before you got on the plane? Was that a good idea? Maybe have a small coffee before you get on an airplane so you don't have to pee five minutes after we take off. And if it's a short flight, an hour to an hour and a half, and you can avoid using the restroom, hey, more power to you. Another thing you can do to avoid getting sick is stay hydrated. On board an aircraft, air humidity is at about 15%, whereas we're used to being between 30 and 60% of humidity on land. So very low humidity of cabin air can dry out the mucous membranes of your nose and your airways. And when these tissues dry out, they are much more susceptible to viruses and bacteria. To combat this, stay hydrated. Bring an empty bottle of, of water or uh, a Nalgene bottle of some kind or whatever water bottle you can muster. Once you get through security, most airports have water fountains that are filtered and dispense exactly four water bottles. Fill up a bottle and then get on the plane. And then you can drink, uh, you know, eight ounces of water per hour is what they're recommending to maintain your hydration. This will help prevent you from getting sick. Another thing that you want to try to avoid on an airplane is alcohol and caffeine because they'll dehydrate you. Cocktails and coffee are probably not a good idea when you're flying, although I'm guilty at least one cup an hour of coffee for me. Keep your hands clean. Of course, we talked about this. You know, just wash your hands. It doesn't, it's not rocket science. A little bit of hot water, soap, scrub, and then rinse, uh, and then dry thoroughly as well. Don't touch your face is another tip to try to prevent getting sick. If you touch your face constantly, like most people do, touching their face about three to four times a minute. I read this and I just thought about it and thought, there's no way this, you know, three or four times a minute. And then I started kind of keeping track. And although there were times where I didn't touch my face for most of the day, then there were other times where I caught myself touching my face three to four times a minute. It was a pretty amazing statistic that was actually closer to true uh, than I thought. Uh, again, the article talks about avoiding certain areas of the airplane because the flu virus can live on any hard surface for up to 24 hours. This article again indicated that you should not use the tray table, but if you have to, carry sanitary wipes and clean it before you use it. Also, don't store items in the seat back pockets. There you go. We know many people use it, and it's likely to be full of germs. Uh, they also said choose your seat carefully. Studies have shown that the aisle seat experiences significantly more traffic and run a greater risk of exposure. Of course, people, sick patients tend to brace themselves on those seats when walking to the bathroom, as we discussed in the previous article as well. Keep your air vents on. Make sure you wipe them down. Um, in fact, high-efficiency particulate air or HEPA filters found on airplanes remove at least 99.97% of any airborne viruses and bacteria. That air is also getting refreshed about 20 times per hour. An office building only gets refreshed about 10 times per hour. So when you're on an airplane, you know, people worry about, oh, but it's recycled air and that's why everybody gets sick. Well, all the airplane um, have uh, the air circulators that have HEPA filters and they do a really good job of cleaning the air. So on an airplane, if you keep that vent open, you're circulating the air and you're helping to mitigate the spread of germs. Do some health prep. Before you even set foot on an airplane, the article indicates that you can start preventative measures to avoid getting sick by starting a regimen of probiotics to keep the gut from holding on to bad bacteria and encouraging the body to fight infection by increasing the good bacteria in your gut. This was uh, by Dr. Testa. Take a zinc supplement and get the flu vaccine two to three weeks prior to travel. Also, take vitamin C. They also indicate you can wear a mask. So all these things that we've talked about here in the past three articles that I've mentioned, you know, it it's all boils down to one thing. 
good hygiene, responsible cleaning practices, and avoiding the nasty parts of the airplane are key to staying healthy throughout your holiday travel. So let's talk a little bit about my holiday weekend. So my family and I, you know, drove down to LAX and went through the hubbub of uh, finding parking and going through security and everything. And we found our gate, were able to get really good seats on a flight, flown for Legacy Airlines by a contracted out regional carrier and relatively reputable carrier. We got to fly on an Embraer 175 and uh, noticed the pilots getting on the plane, doing their pre-flight. And I was totally incognito because on vacation, I am totally lounging out in my respectable you know, loungewear. And we're getting on the plane and we got some really good seats up in first class, you know, and we're very fortunate. The flight was not completely overbooked or oversold. And as a matter of fact, the loads look really, really good. And uh, so we continued on and got on the plane and, and, you know, the flight attendant was courteous and got us a couple pre-departure drinks, uh, even got my daughter uh, pre-departure uh, apple juice. It was, it was real nice. Uh, the captain did a great job. She came out and stood in the first class galley to make her boarding PA. I don't know if that's the policy over there at their uh, regional airline, but it was really classy to see that. I, as a passenger, uh, I really enjoyed, you know, even though it was a brief, you know, welcome aboard, this is their flight time, weather looks good. But to be able to look somebody in the face um, and see that was really classy. And I enjoyed that very much. Uh, then we took off and the flight was relatively short, about an hour and 10 minutes total. And I did notice as we were, you know, starting to get comfortable and bring our seats back and I lowered my tray table and started putting things in the seat back pocket and you know, adjusted my air vent. And yes, I did all the things that I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> I didn't have my sanitation wipes with me. So, which kind of sparked the topic for this episode. And, you know, I grabbed a magazine out of the seat back. I hadn't seen it yet for the month because every month they put in a new magazine back there and it had gum at the bottom of it. And so I, I was kind of grossed out and I put it back in the pocket and there was a magazine in the in the seat back pocket next to me of my daughter's seat pulled that out and clearly had been soaked with some kind of liquid someone spilled either soda or coffee or something on it, it was all wrinkled so i put that back real carefully and looked over across the aisle at my wife and said do you happen to have any hand wipes or sanitation sanitation spray and thankfully she had uh some hand sanitizer spray that we all right away put you know and we're like okay let's stop touching stuff here and uh you know we came by uh with some snacks there and and got to have some snacky cakes while we were flying along and the flight went off relatively without a hitch uh, landed at the Albuquerque Sunport and it was so nice uh, to land at the airport where a lot of my aviation career started uh, I started my initial private pilot lessons at Double Eagle Airport that is just uh, northwest of the Sunport there and many of my training flights included ILS approaches and uh, even touch-and-goes at the Sunport. So from 20 years back, I can remember flying into that airport. And here I was again, after many, many years of not visiting the Sunport, flying in the back of a uh, an airline. And uh, it was really nice. It was, it was so cool to see the airport, how it changed. And how they've you know remodelized remodelized uh, remodeled the uh, terminal and revitalized the area. It, it was it was quite the treat. So spent a couple of days with family, enjoying many many home cooked meals and and the famous New Mexico red and green chili. As a matter of fact, one of my suitcases is halfway full of 
New Mexico spices and chilies and chili flake and oh yeah we're gonna have some really good home-cooked meals when we get back as well from all the goodies we have and I got an opportunity after one of our wonderful home-cooked lunches to sit down with my uh, father-in-law and talk a little bit about his journey on how he started out uh, graduating from Albuquerque High School and what he did in order to have a prosperous career, uh, to raise a, a very large family, and to have a wonderful retirement where he keeps busier than I do. I mean, constantly working on building something or you know, doing some kind of remodeling or even just fixing the old car. So got to sit down with him. And here is a little bit of that interview. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. Tony Chavez. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Squawk Ident. I have a very, very special guest today over here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, visiting family for a little holiday vacation. And I have the privilege to spend some time with my very special family member, Mr. Tony Chavez. Welcome to the show. I am welcome to the show and I really enjoy your company. Thank you very much. We're we're honored to have you, a veteran of the United States of America. And as you know, I do a podcast that I try to uh, produce a show about once a week, and we talk about aviation and aviation-related subjects. And really, it's a it's a story about the journey of how I became an airline pilot and the journey that. Uh, it took and all the struggles it takes to get into a career field like that. Uh, but aviation is not the only career field I like to talk about. I also like to talk about um, other careers that have a very long, difficult journey uh, to get there. And what I find very interesting about your journey is you've been around now for 83 years. Right. And you've started out here in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, right? Born and raised here in the North Valley in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, and went to, was it Albuquerque High School? Okay, I went through the school system. I graduated from Albuquerque High School in 1956. Wow, and that was a little bit different time? It was a very different time, and it was a different school from what they have now, have a new school. The old school is now... Uh, something real special here in Albuquerque, I would say. Yeah. So, you know, technology and, and, and a lot more finances in the school system and education system now than it was back then, you'd say? Yes, I would say so. Yeah. And so you went through the school system and you graduated and took a path that many young men did, especially in those days. And you decided to join the United States Armed Services. Can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to go down that road? Well, uh, before I graduated, I always had a goal. And a goal was to be retired, to be able to find a job where I could retire and have a retirement. Well, I graduated from high school, and I decided the best thing to do is get military retirement. So I joined the United States Navy and flew for the first time to San Diego for training. There in San Diego, uh, I was transferred to a ship, the USS Worcester, and I spent two years on the USS Worcester all over the country, all over the world. But... uh. After two years on board ship, I was transferred to uh, Hawaii. I had a choice of where I wanted to go. I picked, uh, I wanted to go to Operation Deep Freeze so I could save some monies. Instead, I ended up in Hawaii, and I spent two years in Hawaii. So Operation Deep Freeze, what, what was that? Operation Deep Freeze is 
some kind of operation they have uh, in the Arctic. And uh, I, for some reason, I, I was attracted to that and decided to go that way. But uh, the military does the thing just the opposite of what you want. I ended up in Hawaii, beautiful country, beautiful city, uh, Honolulu there, all that area there was beautiful. I spent uh, two years there. I was married in Hawaii, and uh, I had my first child in Hawaii. Oh, wow. So and, you're, that, what year did you enlist? What year was it when you enlisted? I enlisted in 1956. In 1956. So, and you said your first plane ride ever was... Right to go into your processing down in San Diego. What, do you remember that flight very well? What kind of airplane or what airline or what was it? Not really. I, it was a, all I know, it was a big plane. And it was from the little old airport they had here in Albuquerque at the time. And uh, I don't recall what kind of plane it was. I didn't know airplanes that well. Was it a, a commercial flight or was it a military uh, It was a transport? commercial flight. A commercial flight. So you took a, a commercial flight out of uh, the Sunport here? Yes, and uh, it was TWA. The TWA? Yes. Oh, yeah. So, and then you flew down to San Diego uh, for processing, and then, of course, you went through your, your training and processing. You ended up in Honolulu, Hawaii. What year was that? And in Honolulu, Hawaii, I was there, let's see... In 59, the beginning of 59. 1959. Okay. And so you spent quite a bit of time there. Yes, I spent a couple of years there, and uh, I was going to make that my career. But being that I got married and had a child, I decided that I wouldn't make that my career. So I went ahead and got discharged. Okay. So you, you, you did your time. Uh, you were discharged. And is that when you decided to move back here to Albuquerque? Well, I ended up in California, and I found a job at the Georgia Air Base in California, and I worked there for a little less than a year, and President Kennedy closed a lot of bases at that time, so they brought in all the old-timers into the base, and some of us, the newcomers, had to leave. I see. So, and then, was that when you... Slowly started migrating back here. Then I decided that the best thing to do is come home again, and I made a career here. Okay. And so you found yourself in a career uh, with the city of Albuquerque? Was that your... That is right. I looked all over the city for work. At the time, jobs were very, very difficult to find. I couldn't find any jobs. So I... Read on the paper where, hey, they're going to hire some people at the city. And I went ahead and applied and was able to get a job as a labor for the city of Albuquerque. Okay, so that must have been a really difficult time to come over, you know, looking for work with a family of your own. And did you already have a place to stay or did you, were you renting or did you buy by then? Or At the beginning for the first six months, I, I lived with my mother's. And then uh, by that time, I was able to finally get a job with the city of Albuquerque, and I rented a home for the family. Okay, here in Albuquerque. Here in yeah. Albuquerque yeah. in the North Valley. North Valley. Okay, and so you progressed with that city job. What did you do when you entered? You were When I entered, I was a laborer. I was working for the refuse department, which now they call it solid waste. And I started as a laborer, and I worked doing that for almost a year. And then uh, I was calling the office and asked if I knew anything about equipment, about mechanics. And I told them that was, I was going to TVI and taking courses and all this, and that I'd done a lot of mechanical work in my lifetime. So they asked me if I would take over uh just refueling equipment and getting equipment ready for the next day, working nights. And I accepted. That gave me a little bit more money. Mm -hmm. So you And you did that really for your entire career, is that correct? Well, that's, that was the beginning of my career. As I went on, I bettered myself. And as 
After a while, they made me the supervisor for all solid waste equipment. Oh, wow. And uh, I worked on that and for several years. During that time, I was getting promoted as I went on and on through my career. And I ended up my career as assistant superintendent for the department. Oh, okay. And what year did you finally retire from the city of Albuquerque? I spent uh, 29 years with the city of Albuquerque, and I uh, had my military time, which was added on to my retirement. So I retired 21 years ago. Nice. And so, so far in retirement, you've been uh, very successful in you know, maintaining a good career. You had, uh, how many children did you end up having uh, total? Well, after my first wife passed away, I remarried, and I ended up, I had five children, and my second wife had five children. So I had 10 little ones to to raise. Mm. And after I retired, uh, all these little ones had graduated from school, and they have gone on their own. Most of them have gone on their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... I've, we just went ahead and and raised a bunch of grandchildren at the time. Yeah. But after I retired, I didn't really retire. I just got me another job and went into carpentry. I always enjoy building, and I wanted to learn carpentry. So I we went in, and, and I started working as a carpenter, and we built a lot of custom homes in Albuquerque. Yeah, with your sons, or and this was with a nephew. Oh, the nephew. Mm. The nephew had a business. Uh, he he built custom homes, and asked me if I would come in and work with him, which hit me just right. I went ahead and started working. I worked for five years with him building custom homes, and later on he decided to just quit his business, so he went bankrupt or something. But uh, I went along, and, and I started working with a niece of mine that owned a restaurant and just uh, remodeling and doing all the maintenance work that it takes to keep a building up for my niece. Mm-hmm. And after two years of doing that, a friend of mine came to me and asked me he needed help. And mostly he was a developer, had big developments here in Albuquerque. A lot of homes, and he needed somebody to follow up on all the complaints on people complaining about different things in home. Okay. So I, I was doing that. I really enjoyed doing this kind of work because I was on my own. I didn't have people to deal with, only customers and making them happy. Mm-hmm. And that was my whole career there is to make them happy. Yeah. Yeah. So you were able to you know, retire and still continue to work first in carpentry and then later in helping Anise with the the development of the restaurant and buildings and whatnot. And you were able to continue on into uh, like a customer satisfaction role where you would uh, help correct situations and issues with buildings and construction and homes and things. That is correct. Yeah. So this is a relatively long journey that you've taken in building and in construction and maintenance and maintaining. What was the most rewarding of your entire career? If you just had to sum it up, what was the one thing that you did that just really was the happiest time with your career field? Well, all my life I have worked and I have always enjoyed what I do. Working with the city of Albuquerque, I learned a lot. There was a lot of politics, and there was a lot to learn. And I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. I did a lot of traveling and and uh, making specifications for equipment. I'd done a lot of that kind of work, and I enjoyed that. But the one thing that I enjoyed the most was carpentry. That was a goal of mine that I always wanted to to do, and I was able to build my own home or remodel my home to what I have now. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, you use the skills that you developed over your entire lifetime to really build upon, remodel uh, your home. And, and it's not the, your only home. You have some other properties as well that you're managing. That is correct. Yeah. So it's a, it's a nice way to kind of bring it full circle. Your goal from the beginning, you told me earlier in the interview that you were in high school and your goal was to find a job where you could retire, have a nice retirement. And yeah. here you are having a nice retirement. Yes. Uh, working with the city of Albuquerque, I developed a good retirement with them. And that is what keeps me going now. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about aviation. Now, you mentioned your first airplane ride was when you were a teenager, really, joining right. the military. And can you recall any other special flights that you've taken since then? Since then, I've been, I would say, all over the world flying. Uh, my Last longest flight I had was from here to Chile, and uh, from there we cruised all the way back to Miami. But I also have flown all the way into Germany, into Finland, and into Israel. I've done a lot of flying in my life. For the most part, have they been like vacations? or Mostly vacations is the kind of flying I've done. Mm-hmm. And uh, is, did any flight that you ever have taken stand out as maybe the best flight you take or took or your maybe the worst flight you ever took? Uh, that is hard to say. Uh, I have enjoyed all of them. The last one I took is one that you got me on the first class coming home. Yeah, that's right. A little standby ticket there. Yeah. yeah. And I can remember that uh, you, you were staying with us for a while. We had a family event that we were dealing with. and. You had to come home to take care of some business, so uh, you you came home, and then when it came time to come back, we just flew you back, and we got you a a ticket, and I think that was, we flew you out on standby, and then you came back on Southwest. Right. Right. So you came back on Southwest, and because uh, my family lives kind of close to uh, the Ontario airport, uh, we knew what time you were coming in. The aircraft, I believe, for whatever reason, coming out of Albuquerque was delayed. And so we were expecting you much later. And then we we just didn't check the, for the update for a little while. And then we realized we received a text message from you saying, <laughs> yes, we're, we're leaving a little earlier than expected. And knowing that it's a relatively short flight, about an hour flight, we said, oh, no, this text message came a while ago. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's check. And I, we were in the front yard, and we look up, and we see a, a Southwest 737 fly on the final approach into Ontario. We looked up, and I said, oh, I bet you that's Tony's airplane. So I jumped in the car, and I drove to the airport. And as I was pulling on the curb, you had just walked out to the curb. It was, that is right. That is perfect timing. Uh-huh. It, was a nice, <laughs> it was a nice event, and, it, and I'm glad it turned out as well as it did. Well, you know, this journey you've taken has been phenomenal, and I can see uh, how happy you are and how, how much you have uh, uh, really reaped the rewards of working hard, taking care of people over the years, constantly learning a trade, constantly learning, developing, growing, and, you know, 83 years old, and you're still up on the roof taking care of swamp coolers and mm-hmm. You know, construction and tiling and putting in heaters and still working every day. <laughs> yeah, I s- always said it's not as old as you are, but as old as you feel and you want to feel like. And I want to be, I feel like I'm 55, 60 years old. Nice. I I want to act that way, even though I'm 83. Yeah. So I, I my health has been very rewarding. Uh, thank the Lord for that. I, feel good. I never had surgery. I never been really sick. I've always been very healthy. Yeah. Well, you keep moving. I've I've always said, you know, as you get older, the minute you stop moving is the minute you start feeling it. Right. You know, getting old. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time with me today with this interview. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. Love you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you again. And thank you for listening to Squawk Ident. This is Aviator Tony. On behalf of myself, 
and my my father-in-law tony chavez thank you for listening thank you all right until next time well there you have it ladies and gentlemen uh a true treat to speak with a navy veteran who served his time for our country and you know raised a family did it right was a responsible individual in the community working for the city government and able to have a wonderful retirement you know we'd like to take this opportunity to again thank you for listening to squawk ident this show has been you know just a wonderful thing to produce it's kind of started out with yeah hey i could do that you know let's let's run a podcast to now it's really hit the ground running and that between the feedback and the and the participation i'm getting uh, we've got some really cool shows lined up for you so stick around stay tuned don't forget to subscribe and to uh to like the program in whatever format that you are listening to so that when a new episode comes out it'll send you a reminder uh if you're listening to squawk ident on the apple podcast site or app i encourage you if you like what you hear to give us a great review that does help others come to the show and their ability to find the show when they search for an aviation podcast uh, again i'll mention aviatortony.com that's alpha victor the number eight romeo tango oscar november yankee.com there you can um, visit the album cover art photo gallery uh, in the future i'll be posting photos there from the line so if you're not following on social media then at least you can see some of the uh, photos that are posted there on instagram and facebook and twitter and whatnot uh, without having to be on social media uh, so that's coming here in the near future also i'd like to remind you if you are on social media just look up squawk ident podcast and make sure you subscribe like and follow uh again thank you so much for listening to the show uh, i would love to hear from you you can send me feedback directly from uh, the web page uh, if you're listening to the show on spotify there is a audio feedback uh, button that you can press and you can send me a direct message using your voice it's great and if you want to let me post that on the air just let me know at the end of it say yeah you can use my voice and and i'd love to play it also i'd like to thank all the producers of the podcast a few of you reached out and helped with either your time or with donations and and i just want to say thank you so on behalf of myself and everyone else who's helping me keep this podcast running thank you for taking the time to listen to this grateful aviator Don't forget to keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other.